I've mentioned here before that I have a friend who works for a large conglomeration and their return to work policies have been chaotic at best. At first, they send an email at the start of July and said, everyone get your pets and kids ready. We're going back to work in two weeks. Yippee! Never mind the fact that it was summertime and many parents didn't have childcare worked out until the school year began. But there was this small thing called the Delta variant spreading throughout the U.S., They ended up pushing back the return to the office until September and then again into January. But it's been a fascinating look at communications or the lack thereof. Many organizations are working through how if they safely return to the office, whether or not they require vaccinations and how they'll work through their culture and morale issues as they relate to harassment, misogynistic gaslighting, racism and discrimination. In many cases, There's a pretty large gap between organizational leaders and employees, as is evidenced by my friend's company's policies. When surveyed, 82% said they wanted to continue working from home, and yet they're calling everybody back to the office. The good news is that communicators can bridge that gap if we are allowed, and that's what we're going to discuss on today's episode of the SpinSucks podcast. If you're a communications pro who works hard, doesn't compromise quality, and gets the job done, welcome home. We'll share our tips, tricks, and stories, and together we will change the face of PR. Spin sucks, but we don't. With the Spin Sucks podcast, here's Jenny Dietrich. Welcome back to the Spin Sucks podcast. I'm Jenny Dietrich. It turns out that during return to office conversations, people aren't worried just about covid Sure, it's one factor, but as it looks to become an endemic versus a pandemic, we humans are beginning to look past that. Rather, there are myriad reasons someone may not want to return to the brick-and-mortar office. In 2011, we were just rebounding from the Great Recession, and then clients began to retreat again when the debt ceiling debates were happening in D.C. It was a scary time to have a business, and I was stuck in a long-term lease in downtown Chicago that cost me close to $15,000 per month which was a lot of money, especially considering that I was paying for a lease and not a salary for myself. Our CFO suggested we try to get out of the lease, which I honestly didn't know you could do. Turns out you can, and we did. And so for a year, we all went home to work. This was before Zoom and Slack. We had Google Hangouts and Skype. We had chat and we had Wi-Fi, but that was about it. And it totally worked. After about 10 months of working virtually, I asked the team if they'd like to go look at office space together. I was met with resounding silence. So then I asked, would you like to stay working virtually? And everyone cheered. Fine with me. I preferred it too. For us, it wasn't so much that there was a morale issue of being in the office, but everything to do with the fact that we could throw in a load of laundry during the day, walk our dogs during breaks, and exercise at lunchtime without having to worry about a shower in a shared office space. What I also learned is that we could hire anyone in the world, no matter where they were, and save all sorts of money because we didn't have to move them to Chicago. We've hired from Canada, Mexico, Europe, and Asia, people we never, ever would have had the opportunity to work with otherwise. Of course, the shutdown changed that competitive advantage for us when everyone went to virtual work. And now, as company leadership is trying to figure out how to make it work longer term. One challenge we've had all along is hiring young professionals who aren't accustomed to setting their own schedules based on priorities. Heck, in many cases, they don't even know what the priorities are yet, so it's challenging for them to know what to do and when without being in an office together with a team. The shutdown and ensuing pandemic has not changed that, but organizations are getting more clever about how to engage them. 
my younger team today will sit down at their desks, dining room tables, kitchen islands, or couches, and dial into the same Zoom room each morning. They keep it open all day as if they were working in an office together. When they have meetings, they put just that one room on mute or they leave and come back. That would personally drive me crazy, but it works for them. And it's been fun to watch how they've built camaraderie by showing up for one another in that way. There are some other things you can consider, particularly when it comes to engaging younger professionals, according to Universum's new World's Most Attractive Employers report. They say, no matter if you have a hybrid, completely remote, or back into the office culture, the rigid, grueling schedules have to go. The pandemic has caused all of us to reevaluate our priorities, and that goes for every colleague on your team from top to bottom. Gone are the days of clocking in by 8.30 a.m. and clocking out around 9 or 10 p.m. While that never should have been expected, it quickly became the norm. We need to change that. Most of the concerns about virtual work are about isolation and lack of social contact. Make sure you create ways for this to happen for those it matters most to. Get them involved in the solutions. We have one client who does small outdoor dinner gatherings twice a month. There are only 10 people allowed at once and you have to sign up in advance. It always quote unquote sells out the second it's announced. And do a salary audit for everyone on the team. We found that some organizations are throwing crazy, I mean, crazy money, crazy money at people who are willing to switch jobs, sometimes to the tune of double what they were making. While most can increase salaries by 100%, make sure you are in line with what the industry standards are and what the cost of living is for where those people are. We have a client who thought they could hire a marketing director with five to seven years of experience for $35,000. I laughed out loud because I actually thought they were joking. They were not. So then I had to say, when you had seven years of experience, and I realized that was 20 years ago, did you make more than $35,000? Resounding silence. Come on, people, get those salaries audited and fast. Otherwise, someone is going to swoop up your team. In just a minute, I'll be back to talk you through some additional things to bring to your leadership team or to that of your clients when it comes to addressing all of the new policies we're grappling with. I'll be right back. There are two things I want you to know about. The first is the Fundamentals of Media Measurement course that we just launched with Muckrack, and the second is the PESO Model Certification. Both will help you evolve your career this year as you learn how to measure your work using the PESO Model to get you there. The Fundamentals of Media Measurement course can teach you how to measure your earned media efforts, create a successful measurement strategy, and report on your success. It will take you about two hours, but it has quick bite-sized lessons you can take when convenient. It has actionable tips, step-by-step -step approaches, and examples from Jonna Burke, Christopher Penn, and me. Go to mrac.co slash spinsucks to learn more, get registered, and start your measurement journey today. That's mrac.co slash spinsucks. Please be sure to use that link because I get a gold star every time someone registers, and I love gold stars. And for those of you who need to evolve your career, learn how to integrate the work you do with marketing and amp up your measurement efforts, the PESO model certification is for you. Step up your game with an academically accredited PESO model certification from Spin Sucks and the SI Newhouse School of Public Communications at Syracuse University. Learn more about that by going to spinsucks.com academy, or you can go to spinsucks.com and click on academy in the navigation. And now, back to the show. I mentioned at the start that many employees aren't so much worried about COVID as it relates to going back to the office, but that they've tasted freedom and what it's like to not have to commute or be in, in an office and play office politics or be demeaned or left out of meetings on purpose. 
In many cases, people have gotten at least two hours, if not more, back in their days, and no one wants to give that time back to their employers. There are lots of reasons people may want to continue working from home. For me and my team, it was more about the flexibility we had to do the things around the house that needed to be done and didn't have to pile up and wait for the weekend. There are also a handful of us who like to exercise every day and don't want to be judged if we do it at 7.30 a.m. <coughs> and don't show up to work until 9 <coughs> or at lunchtime or at 4 p.m. As long as the work gets done, it's far easier to have that kind of flexibility if your team isn't watching you leave the office during traditional office hours. But that's not the only reason. I always say that school isn't made for working parents. No one on earth works from 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m., which are the hours in which you can work before you're interrupted with drop-off and pickup. Sure, you can work before and after those hours, but you often do it with kids around, which makes things, well, a bit less productive. And then there are the significant reasons many marginalized groups of people don't want to return to an office. Many Black workers told CBS Money Watch in a poll that being in predominantly white workplaces often exacts an emotional toll. They said working from home offers a measure of inner peace and even helps them do their jobs better. These same sentiments are common among people of color, including in corporate America. For decades, Black and Hispanic employees have reported feeling marginalized at work and being relegated to lower paying roles, even when their credentials qualify them for higher level positions. Black women in particular say a typical workday often requires looking past microaggressions from coworkers, ignoring flippant comments about their natural hairstyles or suppressing emotions lest they be labeled an angry Black woman. But working at home allows them to not just look past those microaggressions and subtle racism, but not experience it at all. The good news is that communicators can bridge this gap if we are allowed. This is what we are born to lead. One of the areas that have exploded for us since last March is internal communications. And that's because of all of the aforementioned reasons. Organizational leaders want to be decisive, but they also don't want a mass exodus of people based on those decisions. We do a lot of roundtable discussions where team members can discuss what's on their minds in a very safe way. No leadership or bosses are privy to those conversations. It takes some time to build some trust and let people feel like they can be honest, but it works. And it allows us to take that information and create our communications around decisions being made at the top so people feel like they have a voice. Slack is your friend. For some clients, we've set certain parameters around the water cooler channel. And for others, we've created channels specifically for culture building. Last week, it was fun to see all of the clients' channels alive with Halloween costume sharing. Even my cold black heart that hates Halloween loved all of the excitement around people's costumes. I also loved sharing my husband's costume. He was Ted Lasso, and he nailed it. I mean, nailed it. I'll share a photo in the show notes, so if you want to see him, head over to Spin Sucks and check it out. One additional thing you can think about either internally or for your clients is how to start to build an employer brand. This is a big one for our clients this year. For one client, we have an entire campaign built around it, which launched with an employer brand video. From there, we asked team members to share their gold medal moments or the reason sports has affected the decisions they've made about their careers. 40% of their team participated and we're using that content on social media. We've also tailored a landing page specific to careers and we track results based on resumes submitted. No matter how your organization decides to handle going back to an office or not, it's important to communicate the decisions appropriately. You won't make everyone happy, but if everyone feels like they had a choice in the decision-making, you will win.
If you'd like more ideas on how communicators can bridge the gap between organizational leaders and employees, join us in the SpinSucks community. You can find us at spinsucks.com slash spin hyphen sucks hyphen community. That's spinsucks.com slash spin hyphen sucks hyphen community. It's free. It's fun. It's challenging. It's educational. And we have these kinds of conversations all the time. I'll see you next week. If you're ready to change the face of PR, make sure you subscribe to the Spin Sucks podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and a review. 